Right now, though, wanted to get to the latest on what's happening in, in Turkey and Syria, and it really is a race against time. Rescue teams continue to search for signs of life in the rubble of thousands of buildings toppled by Monday's catastrophic earthquake. So the confirmed death toll from uh, the world's deadliest quake in more than a decade passed 11,000 today. Uh, today's uh, teams from more than two dozen countries have local emergency personnel on the ground, but experts say that survival window for those trapped under the rubble is closing pretty rapidly as well. The weather there quite bad right now. Prime Minister Trudeau saying Canada considering the best way to provide support to Turkey and Syria so far. Uh, the country has made a $10 million funding commitment as part of international aid efforts that include search and rescue teams from the U.S. So that earthquake, uh, the strongest to hit the region in over 83 years. The last one of that magnitude was recorded in 1939 and killed over 30,000 people. Let's find out more with Lindsay Shanebaum, who is a geologist and earth science professor at the University of Toronto. Lindsay, welcome to the show. Oh, happy to join you. Thank you so much. Why was this quake so deadly? Well, earthquakes, we, we often say in geology that it's not earthquakes that kill, it's buildings that kill. And so if you're in open field during an earthquake, you know, in movies you see a chasm opening up and closing again, that doesn't happen. But what does happen is the earth rolls like the ocean waves and buildings that are built on top of it can collapse. Uh, and this is an area with a high population density. It was a big earthquake and the buildings just didn't stand up to it. Um, Lindsay, you, you, you mentioned the whole, um, you know, in movies that we see like a chasm opening up. Does that, that doesn't happen? Like the, the, there's not lines, that it doesn't, the, the land doesn't crack, the earth doesn't crack? Well, it does in a way, but not the way it is in the okay. movie. So this was a, yeah, this was a strike slip fault is what it's called. And it's, it's like the San Andreas fault in California. Uh, and this is a place where the, the earth's plates or different parts of the rock are sliding past each other sideways. So there actually, I just saw a picture of today, there is a, what we call a surface rupture. So there is a place on the earth's surface where you can see a, a crack or a break, and the rocks on either side are offset by about three meters. And so the image I saw was of a railway track, and another one was of a, a road. And so the road was broken and shifted, but there wasn't really a, like a chasm that you would drop into. So tell us uh, more about, uh, about this area where the earthquake happened, because it is um, a very active area for earthquakes. There's, there's what, three plates mm -hmm. that come together there? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so the Arabian Peninsula is moving northward, and it's colliding with the Eurasian plate. And Turkey is more or less caught in between. And so it's getting squeezed out to the west, to the side. And sometimes we think about it like a watermelon seed that you're pinching between your two fingers mm. and sliding off the side. And so in, in order to slide to the side, there's a fault system to the north and there's a fault system to the sort of southeast. That, and those are the boundaries of that sliding piece. And so a lot of earthquakes occur along those boundaries. The earthquake uh, on Monday was along the east Anatolian fault zone, which is on the southeast part of that um, piece of the crust that's sliding to the west. So when we take a look at uh, a magnitude 7.8, I mean, obviously it's a it's a big earthquake, and as you touched on, you know, the the buildings and the way that they're built all play a role, and the dense population all plays a role in in um, the outcome of this and 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 the death toll. But when we take a look at magnitudes, what 9.5 is the largest when it comes to an mm -hmm. earthquake? Yeah, that's exactly right. So it's a logarithmic scale that means that every time you go up and order uh, a, a number, you're going up about 30 times in wow. terms of 
of the intensity of the shaking. So uh, there's about 20 or so earthquakes every year that are greater than magnitude 7 and only one that's greater than magnitude 8. So this was a, it was a very big earthquake. Um, and how long do aftershocks typically last for? Well, they typically get less strong uh, over time. And so the largest uh, aftershocks usually happen in the first week or so, uh, but it can actually be years before the little tiny earthquakes stop happening. So faults can kind of, you know, they shift and adjust right after an earthquake, but they can sort of still crackle and pop um, for, for even decades. But most of those earthquakes, people wouldn't feel. We can only pick it up with our um, seismic instrumentation. Okay, Lindsay Shanebaum joining me this afternoon, a geologist and earth science professor at the University of Toronto. I always thought that earthquakes were measured on the Richter scale, but I think that's changed. That's right. Yeah, the, uh, we, there's two different scales that we use now. One is called the moment magnitude, and that's the more sort of sciencey scale that has to do with the area of the earthquake rupture and how much it moved. Um, and, and that's similar to the Richter magnitude, so we use numbers the same way. So magnitude 9.5, for example, uh, or 7.8 like this one. Um, the other scale is called the Mercalli intensity scale, and that has to do with really what people experience or what you observe in terms of the actual shaking in an earthquake. So you can kind of answer a questionnaire that has things like, did books fall off the shelf or mm. did masonry fall off a building? And you get assigned an intensity on a scale of 1 to 12 when they use Roman numerals. Uh, and then you can create a map that shows where the shaking intensity was. So that's the one that's more relevant to hazards and, and rescue and thinking about the impact on populations. When we take a look at uh, the largest earthquake um, ever registered was a 9.5 that was recorded in Chile in 1960. But of course, um, a lot of us would remember the one that uh, struck off the coast of Indonesia that resulted in the tsunami. Mm -hmm. uh, that was a, a 9.1. And of course, the one in uh, Japan in 2011 and a tsunami there uh, as, as well. I know when I... When, when I hear about earthquakes and, you know, when I do a lot of interviews on this show, when it comes to, for example, extreme weather for like tornadoes and mm -hmm. hailstorms, I know on those fronts, people are working hard to try to um, better detect or better early warning uh, system, uh, for lack of a better term, for things mm -hmm. like uh, hail, damaging hail and tornadoes. Is it possible to predict an earthquake? Mm -hmm. There's actually three different answers for that. So the, the, the first answer has to do with probability. So, you know, like, for example, when someone's predicting a hurricane track, right, there's a probability that it'll hit in a certain area, but it could shift over time, right? Uh, and so the same thing with earthquakes. We can talk about the probability. We can say there's an 80% chance that an earthquake of magnitude 6.0 or greater will happen in the next three months in this location. Mm -hmm. Right, so you can give a general sense for which areas are more prone, more at risk, and which are less at risk, and of what magnitude. Uh, the second thing that you can try to do is predict immediately before an earthquake is going to happen. That one we're making progress on, but we still can't do, and that's the one we really want. The, the third thing that we can do is after an earthquake happens, our communications technology is actually faster than seismic waves travel. Mm. And so if you can detect an earthquake, you can get notice to surrounding areas fairly quickly. Uh, and that would, um, you know, government infrastructure, you could, you know, shut down gas lines or water lines, you could stop trains, and you could maybe give people a warning, perhaps on their cell phone to take cover. 
And so that wouldn't um, help the people who are in the epicenter right where the mm -hmm. quake starts. They would help people farther out. Yeah, maybe if you have 10 seconds to get out of a building or something like that, mm -hmm. right? You know, that mm -hmm. heads up. On, on the second point, you said um, you were making progress on the immediately before. I'm, I'm wondering, you know, on that front, what is being done? What, you know, I, can, do, you, do you have any details on, on, on mm -hmm. the research that's going into that? Uh, it's not my area of research, but, you, you know, people think about, you hear about animals behaving strangely yes. before an earthquake, and, um, you know, there is some thought that there may be, you know, gases that are released, and, and I think maybe the most promising avenue is looking at micro-seismicity, so small earthquakes that happen before an earthquake, but we have to record a number of events, you know, see what the pattern is, and then we actually have to observe it before an earthquake happens, and we just haven't been able to do that, mm -hmm. that yet. Mm -hmm. Interesting, interesting. Have you ever felt an earthquake? Only one. I work in very earthquake-prone regions, but I've including eastern Turkey, but uh, I have only ever felt one earthquake. It was in Ontario um, about eight years ago, and it was very, very, I wouldn't have noticed it if I didn't uh, if I wasn't a geologist, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my, my son lived in Tokyo for five years, and uh, hmm. the first couple threw him off, but after that it was like, whoa, okay, you just kind of got used <laughs> to it. But again, like you said, the buildings there, a lot of them are, are built mm -hmm. to, to handle it, so it's just different, right? So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, terrified us living in Canada when we hear about these without mm -hmm. a doubt. But, Lindsay, thank you for joining me this afternoon. Uh, fascinating conversation, and thanks for uh, teaching us a little bit more about uh, about earthquakes and... and, and uh, uh, the unfortunate outcomes, uh, but mm -hmm. also the work being done to maybe change that moving forward. Mm -hmm. I appreciate your time this afternoon. My pleasure. Thank Take you. Take care. Yeah, Lindsay Shanebaum, a geologist and earth science professor at the University of Toronto this afternoon.